These are exciting times at Northside, amen? Amen, it's great to see all of you with us today in worship. And if you're a guest, I want to echo what Jennifer said earlier. Thank you so much for coming. And if you're sitting there today thinking, I don't know for sure if Kevin even knows who I am, shoot me a text, okay, with your picture on it. Otherwise, it won't do me any good. But we would appreciate that so very, very much. If you haven't filled out that card yet, fill that out and hand one of these folks out in the foyer after the service. A lot of great things going on at Northside, including Vacation Bible School. It's going to be great. Amen? I want to say thank you to Jennifer, Michelle, our children's people. I feel like our VBS has gone up about three notches in the last three years. Amen. Let's give them all a hand. All right. Thank you so very much. Also, congratulations to graduates. We'll be talking about you a little bit later at the end of the service. But also, uh, this fall, I want to let you know, give you a sneak preview, what we're going to be doing with our small groups. It's called Master Life. And it's one of the most impactful studies that I have ever done. It's a life changer, and I hope you'll sign up. We start the Sunday after Labor Day, so you be watching for that. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, our second week in this letter. And uh, it's so practical because it talks about so many of the things that we deal with in this life. And he starts here in verse 12 saying, Paul does, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love. And we thank you that your perfect love casts out all fear. We know that sometimes we do enter into some fearful situations. We come upon places where we don't know what to do. And sometimes we try to do our best, but it still doesn't turn out well, or we're misunderstood or criticized. We can get discouraged. But I pray that today you would encourage the people in this room. I ask that you would speak through me in clarity, a voice, in speech, in Holy Spirit anointing power. I know that I cannot communicate what needs to be communicated apart from you. But through you, Lord, great things can happen. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. And glorify the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Question. How many of you know any critics? You know anybody? They just love to criticize other people. It might be a, a mom or dad. It might be a teenage child. It might be a husband or a wife. It might be an employer or a boss. It might be an employee. It might be a friend. It might be a church member. How many of you love to be criticized? You just love it when you see her coming into the room because you know she's going to have something bad to say about you. Or you're just hoping this new committee has been formed and 
you're thinking, oh, I just hope he is going to be on it. Because if he is on it, he's going to point out all of my faults, and it's going to be incredible. How many of you love it when Mr. Encouragement comes into the room and they're not encouraging, okay? Or Mrs. Encouragement, not, okay, comes into the room. Because you know they're going to give you five criticisms for every compliment or word of encouragement. Now, to be honest, we can all learn from criticism, okay? There's usually something helpful in there that we can learn from. However, if 90% of what you hear from someone is critical, it's kind of hard sometimes to receive the things that might not be. But be a good cheer, you're in good company. Even the very best and most competent people sometimes get criticized. The book of 2 Corinthians was written by an incredibly competent, intelligent, dedicated man by the name of Paul. But did you know that Paul had his share of critics? The church at Corinth was not Paul's favorite church. And for many of them, Paul was not their favorite leader. Paul had his share of critics in the church. They accused him of being selfish and proud, untrustworthy and inconsistent, incompetent, maybe even mentally unstable, a lousy preacher and a poor leader. My, to be fair, some of the people in the church at Corinth really did like Paul, but not all of them, not even close. They preferred other leaders. Some preferred this golden orator by the name of Apollos. Some preferred Simon Peter. And some said, we're really spiritual. We just follow Jesus. But a lot of people in the church at Corinth were not too crazy about Paul. When Paul wrote this letter we call 1 Corinthians, it was a divided church. By the time we get to the letter we call 2 Corinthians, they're doing better, but they still have problems. And here in 2 Corinthians, we find Paul defending himself. And he really shouldn't have to. After all, he started the church at Corinth. Humanly speaking, if it were not for Paul, there wouldn't even be a church at Corinth. Humanly speaking, if it were not for Paul, the people in Corinth wouldn't even know about Jesus, let alone even have an opportunity to know Jesus and one day go to heaven. But Paul has to defend himself because there are so many critics there of him and they really don't care if Paul started the church or not. So here in this letter we call 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending himself. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 12, now this is our boast, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity. Paul shouldn't have to do it, but here he is defending himself. Paul's not just defending his opinion, he's defending his personal integrity. Paul says, I live with integrity in the world and especially with you as a church. But a significant number of people in the church really don't trust Paul. 
And it's hard to lead people when they don't trust you. So here's Paul defending himself. Go to verse 13. For we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. The Corinthians were complainers. Do you know any complainers? The Corinthians were complaining. So Paul says, I'm trying to keep it simple. The primary complaint about Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is that he was fickle. He promises to visit us, and then he doesn't. He changes his mind on a whim. So here's Paul trying to defend himself, not so much for his sake, but for theirs. And they need guidance from Paul. They need direction. They need instruction. They need correction from Paul. Paul must have had a heart for these believers. Otherwise, he would have just written them off. These people in Corinth had a lot of problems. Turn to your neighbor and say, they had a lot of problems. <laughs> Amen. Now ask them, how bad were they? Well, I'm about to tell you. Corinth may have been the most carnal, sinful church in the entire New Testament. As best we can understand, back in 1 Corinthians, we find a man is sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul says, even the pagans don't do that. What are you thinking? And you're condoning it, applauding it, church at Corinth. On top of that, people were getting drunk at what we might call today church potluck dinners. They had what they called these agape feasts where people would bring in food and wine. And the people who were well off would get lots of food. And some of them would even get drunk. And others would go hungry because they didn't have food. But the people who had all the food really didn't care. Take care of yourself, okay? That's how they felt. On top of that, they were very divisive and disrespectful of the legitimate authority. Paul could have said, I'm done. I am not working with you people anymore. You got too many issues. You got too many problems. You don't appreciate what I'm trying to do to help you. You don't have a clue. Paul could have said, yet you're criticizing me. What is wrong with you people? Paul continues, however, to reach out to this church in love. They didn't deserve it. They certainly hadn't earned it. Earned it, but Paul hasn't given up. Let me encourage you to look for the best in other people. I know sometimes they don't deserve it. I know sometimes they haven't earned it. I know sometimes they might not have been very kind to you. But try to look for the best in other people. That doesn't mean you have to put yourself in vulnerable situations with them or you need to condone their actions in any way whatsoever. But if you can try to look for the best in them and try to give them some help and some encouragement and some guidance and direction along the way, then allow God to use you for His glory there. Know this also. If you follow Jesus with all your heart, you will probably be misunderstood. It happens to all of us. People say things about you. People misunderstand what you say. People do things that you tried to communicate one way. They took it a different way. You're trying to follow Christ. You're trying to do the right thing. But somebody misunderstood what you said, 
what you did, how you behaved. It happens, okay, to everybody, especially if you're in a position of leadership, especially if you're trying to do something in the kingdom and people are watching. People are going to misunderstand you. It's going to happen. Paul's primary goal in wanting to be understood is not because the church at Corinth had hurt his feelings. Listen, this is a guy who had been beaten over and over and over again with whips. He'd been beaten five times with 39 lashes. He had been beaten three times with rods. He'd been in and out and in and out and in and out of prison. He'd been shipwrecked three times. Everywhere he went, people hated him. People wanted him dead. He was not a popular person with the world. So I don't think his biggest concern is, well, you know, they hurt my feelings over here, and I just, I just can't get over that. I think what he's saying is, I want to help these people, and if I'm going to be able to help them, they're going to, they're going to need some help, okay? Paul's primary reason for wanting to be understood was so he could help these people, and boy, do they need help. They are a spiritual train wreck. They need to listen to Paul, even though they felt like he was being corrective at the time. Go to verse 14. Just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Apparently, the church at Corinth is beginning to understand Paul a little better. And because they understand Paul better, at least some of the people in the church are beginning to trust Paul more. And one day, when Jesus returns, their understanding would be complete, and Paul and the Corinthian church could rejoice more in each other. Listen, the pastor's goal is not popularity. The pastor's goal is not to get as many people in the church to think he's the coolest person they've ever met and think he is Mr. Amazing and we just wish we could hang out with you all the time. That's not my goal. If that's a side benefit, that's fine. But the pastor's first goal is to glorify God. The pastor's first goal, and ought to be your first goal, is one day hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our highest goal. That's our greatest goal. Now, if you are a pastor and or another church leader or even a Christian, you should also have a secondary goal, and that would be influence among others, that you might be able to build up trust and build up encouragement and confidence in people so that as a pastor, when I'm trying to give direction and I'm trying to help us to know where to go, people can say, you know, we believe that guy's legitimate. We believe that guy's real. We believe that guy is seeking Jesus. And so we think we can get on board. And if you're a Christian leader in the community, people ought to see you as a person of integrity, a person who is trying to honor God and trying to do the right thing. And because you are living a life of integrity, that when you say that you know Jesus Christ, people say, you know what? I believe that guy's real. I believe he practices what he preaches. I believe she lives what she says, that she believes. And because of that, maybe this Christian life has something in it for me. And I can buy into that. 
to verses 15 and following. Here Paul tells the church of Corinth, because I was sure of this, I want to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. Now, what in the world does Paul mean by that? Well, apparently, Paul had planned to visit the church at Corinth twice because he wanted to help the church, and he thought if he stopped by twice, it'd be even more helpful than just one visit. But Paul ended up only visiting the church at Corinth once. Verse 16, Paul continues, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. However, for some reason, Paul's plans changed. We're not sure why. Maybe because the first visit didn't go very well and Paul thought a second visit would be helpful. And to be honest, they probably would not have enjoyed a second visit from Paul because they had not repented of their sin, and Paul was going to have to deal with that. You'll find that in verse 23. Bottom line, Paul didn't make the second visit, and the Corinthian church saw him as vacillating. He was wishy-washy, fickle, can't make up his mind. And to add fuel to the fire, there were false teachers in the church. Some even claiming to be apostles who said, you can't trust Paul. You can't listen to Paul. They were taking advantage of the situation, trying to discredit him. Paul continues in verse 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Paul has enemies in the church deliberately trying to discredit him making him look bad on purpose, and some people are believing it. Question, has that ever happened to you? You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to follow God. You're trying to serve people, and yet people misunderstand you. Some people even want to discredit you in the eyes of other people. Maybe in the eyes of other Christians, maybe in the eyes of other people in your family, maybe in the eyes of other churches, and if you're not careful, you can become bitter, and you can become discouraged, and you can feel like quitting because of being misunderstood. Sometimes people deliberately saying things about you, and others believing it. Here in verses 18 and following, Paul defends himself, as surely as God is faithful, Our word to you has not been yes and no. In other words, you may think I'm fickle. You may think I'm unreliable and unstable, Paul says, but I'm not. I'm just following God. And my God is totally dependable. You can count on him. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim, among you Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always, always yes. For all, circle the word all there, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In other words, Paul is saying our God is not fickle. You may think that I'm fickle, but I can care to tell you one thing. Our God is not fickle. Can I tell you something? People will let you down. People will fail. People will blow it. Don't get your eyes on the pastor because he is far from perfect. 
Don't get your eyes on the deacons because they're not perfect either. Don't get your eyes on another church leader or another church member or another person who proclaims to follow Jesus Christ because we are all human. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are so human. Are we not? None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. None of us have got every single part of our act together, and hopefully we're growing in that. But if you get your eyes on other people, people are going to let you down. You get your eyes on other people, you're going to get hurt. You get your eyes on other people, and at some point you say, I don't want to go to this church anymore. Three months later, you're going to get hurt at the next church. Say, well, I don't go to this church anymore. Three months later, you're going to go to another church. Say, well, I don't go to this church anymore because somebody hurt my feelings. Guess what? Whatever you do, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Did you know that? How many of you are married? Ever get your feelings hurt? No. Good answer, Rob. How many of you have teenagers? How many of those teenagers are always thoughtful and respectful and kind and say you're amazing all the time? Right, Mia? Absorb, of course, right? I mean, parents, sometimes they don't exactly do what you think they ought to do. We all, we're human, right? But if you constantly are frustrated or aggravated or upset about he did that or she did that or they said this or we said that, guess what? At some point, you got to discover nobody other than Jesus Christ is perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. You're not. The Bible says for all, say what all of me, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. We all blow it. We all fail, okay? Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do our best, okay? That doesn't mean we shouldn't love and serve and give and apologize and repent of our sin, okay? We absolutely need to do that. But don't get your feelings hurt every 15 minutes, okay? It's just part of life. Your ultimate trust is not in other people. Your ultimate trust is not in yourself. Your ultimate trust is where? In God, in Jesus Christ. And all of the promises of God, Paul says, the Bible says, all of the promises of God, say with me, all, all of the promises of God, find their yes and amen in Him. Listen, our God is a God who always keeps His promises. John chapter 14 Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house, or many mansions, many wonderful dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. i got good news. God's not going to change his mind. God's not going to say, you know what, I thought about this heaven deal. And uh, I've looked down there on earth, and nobody really deserves to be up here. I'm canceling, okay? Nobody's getting in. God's not going to do that. God made a promise. God's going to keep it. The Bible says it's by grace we are saved through faith. Even that's not of yourselves. It's a gift. Say gift with me. Gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. God's not going to change his mind on that. God's not going to say, you know what? I've been looking down here on this earth, and... You stinking people down there. I'm not going to let anybody in unless they can get up to a much higher standard. So if you don't give at least $10 billion to the church, and if you miss more than one Sunday per year, you're not getting in. 
Aren't you glad God's not going to say that to you? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time giving $10 million to church. I'd have a hard time only missing one Sunday per year, perhaps. Okay? God's not going to change the rules on you, okay? God's not going to say up there in heaven next Thursday that, you know what? I've offered heaven to you, and I guess I'll still be good with that. But in the meantime, while you're down here on this earth, you're on your own. You guys got way too many problems for me. I just don't know if I can deal with all that. I got all these angels. I got people up here in heaven already. I don't think I can deal with all you people down there. It's just a mess. God's not going to say that. When Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, he means it. He's not going to change it. The Bible says you serve a God who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all you can ask or think or even imagine. God's not going to say, you know, I thought about that. I think I overpromised. I'm not sure I'm that good. God's not going to say that because God is perfect. God knows everything. God can do anything. God is all-powerful. And he loves you more than you have the capacity to love. And he wants to help you moment by moment and day by day, whatever your issue, whatever your struggle, whatever your problem, whatever you need, God says, I want to be there with you. And I'll help you to go through whatever you're going through, moment by moment and day by day, because he loves you. He tells us that through Christ we're more than conquerors, He's not going to say, you know what, I changed my mind. I don't think it could be that good. No, he promised it. He's able to empower you. He'll do what he says he will do. Amen? Go to verse 21. And it's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? A guarantee of your home in heaven. Right now, if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And it's a guarantee that one day you'll be with Him forever in heaven. Paul tells the church at Corinth, you can trust in God. You can trust in Him no matter what your situation, your problem, your struggle, your need. And in the meantime, Paul says, I'm not trying to correct you and try and to defend me so I can be some kind of self-centered egomaniac or bossy boss. No, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to lord it over you in the faith. But I will work with you for your joy. You'll find that in verse 24. We'll get there in a second. So one of my goals for us here at Northside is that we might know true joy. Say joy with me. Joy. That's why when we sing these songs in worship, we stand up. Some of you may raise your hands. Others of you are raising your hearts to God because we are celebrating Jesus Christ. Amen? We're celebrating His death on the cross, His resurrection from the grave, His ascension into heaven, and one day He's coming back again. Do you believe that? We celebrate that. Even though right now times may be difficult, even though right now things may be hard, even though circumstances around you may seem impossible, you can say, they may be impossible for me, but nothing's impossible for my God. We celebrate that when we join in the worship. 
That's why we sing to God. That's why we worship God. That's why we praise God, because our God is a good God, is he not? And we celebrate that. That's why when we gather together on Sundays, we encourage one another. When people walk in through the doors of this church or even drive into our parking lot, my hope, my goal is that you will be encouraged by the people who are here. That's why I got a tin out there this morning. That's why some of you got orange juice and milk and donuts and whatever you got. It's not just so your kids can have a sugar high and bounce off the walls, okay? That's all right. But the reason is because we want you to be encouraged in the faith because there's a world out there who will discourage you. There's a world out there that will put you down. There's a world out there that wants to shoot down everything you're trying to do in following Jesus Christ. Amen? But the goal of the church is to encourage, say encourage me, encourage one another. The Bible says to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so when you leave this building today, you don't leave with your head down. You don't leave discouraged. You don't leave wanting to quit. You leave refueled to go back out there into the world and make a difference for the glory of God. Amen? That's why we gather together in Bible study and Sunday school, because we're encouraging one another in the faith, and we're learning more about God's Word and about how to live, and we can ask questions, and we can encourage one another in the Lord. Amen? Paul speaks of this in verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. There's that joy, okay? He continues, and for you to stand firm in your faith. Here's another goal. That is for you to stand firm in your faith. Listen, life is hard. People will shoot you down. Circumstances will knock you down. People will discourage you. People will criticize you. People will not believe in you. People will not want to follow your plan, even though it's amazing. And sometimes you're going to feel like quitting. Sometimes you're not going to want to do this anymore. But I encourage you, in the middle of the easy and the hard and the good and the bad, you stay in there with God. Stand firm. Ephesians 6 says, finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm in this life, even though all the schemes of the devil are trying to pull you down. Amen? It's called life. Philippians 1, 6 says, he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says, faithful is he who called you, is also able to bring it to pass. Do you believe that? I love the story about Jesus and his disciples. He just finished feeding the 5,000. That's just the men. We don't know how many people there all together. It might have been 15,000 or more with the women and the kids. He just fed that multitude, thousands and thousands of people. And the people are so excited about Jesus at that point. They want to make him the king. 
But they misunderstand what the king was supposed to be. They're looking for a political leader. Somebody who can work miracles for them and feed them bread and deliver them from Rome. But Jesus did not come to be that kind of a leader. And so Jesus gets away from the crowd. He gets the disciples in the boat. They go across the other side of the lake. And when they get to the other side of the lake, guess what? A lot of people in the crowd, when they saw Jesus' disciples leave, they went around the lake to go over and find Jesus because he is our new king, so they think. And then Jesus gives them these really difficult words that are hard to understand, hard to believe, and hard to know what to do with, and harder to follow. And the entire crowd leaves. Every single one of them goes away except for the 12. Jesus turns around. He looks at the 12 and said, you going to leave too? Will you also go away? And I love what Simon Peter said. Simon Peter said, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Listen. All my eggs are in his basket. All my hope is in him. All my confidence is in him. All of my trust is in him. People will let you down. Circumstance will let you down. Life will let you down. But we have a God who says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. He will not let you down. It might look like it. You might feel like it. But he is God. And he loves you. He wants to empower you for living moment by moment and day by day. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and for your love. Father, I pray for every person in this room today. Help us to hear what you have to say. Help us to receive your word into our lives. I pray for the person in this room who's struggling. You've been beat up. You've been criticized. You've been hurt. People have said things to you. People have done things to you. Maybe it wasn't fair. I got good news for you. Jesus says, I'll be there. I understand. I pray, Lord, for the person in the room who maybe is struggling because you just seem so distant, like you don't care. Remind them that you really, really do care. And for the person that's sitting in the room today who maybe doesn't even know for sure that they think that there is a God or is a Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Help them to know, Lord. For somebody, God might be leaning to join this church today. To go on mission to touch the world with the love of Jesus. For somebody else, it might be just to come to an altar and pray. Or maybe to take some time to pray about some people in your life that you're struggling with. Or they're struggling with you. Whatever God is saying to you, say yes to him. He knows what he's doing. He's never made a mistake. He's never said, oops, my bad. He's never blown it. He's never failed. He's calling you today to follow him. Father, hear our prayer today. 
Help us to say yes to you.